All right, the rest of us uh, can turn um, either in your Bible or in your bulletin to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to be looking at verses 12 to 27. Uh, when I was in seventh grade, I joined the school band uh, and learned how to play the trumpet. I still own this trumpet to this day. Um, and I was brand new to the trumpet when I, when I was in seventh grade, uh, but I, this was the, the place to learn, right? You join the school band and they'll, they'll teach you how to play whatever instrument. And the vast majority of students um, had never played instruments before either. And so we were all jumping into this thing with no idea what we were doing. And I can vaguely remember the first few times where we would all try to play a song together off the same sheet of music. Um, I don't think I fully realized it then, uh, but it was so offbeat, so off pitch. It was such a mess. And um, I'm sure the band director cringed as he would probably every year he had a new group of 7th graders, as he listened to this room of 13-year-olds attempt to struggle through uh, playing together uh, for the first time. Um, I'm sure it sounded like we were all playing from different sheets of music. No unity, no cohesion, uh, everyone on different beats. Um, And I, I don't know how that band director had the stamina to stay with us and to keep teaching us because... Um, I'm sure we seemed so out of whack and so out of sync that he thought we might never come together as a band that would be able to play from one sheet of music altogether. And sometimes the church can feel like that. Uh, Maybe it's some national news story that you hear about like dysfunction in the church and you just kind of throw your hands up and you think, man, how how does a church stay together? How How does a church continue on? Maybe you felt it more personally, where things in our church or in another church you've been involved with that felt so out of whack, or just like people are playing different instruments from different sheets of music, and those differences just feel ultimate. And sometimes when we we experience these differences kind of bumping up against each other in the church, we can begin to think that our differences are the problem. And then when we think that our differences are the problem, that can sort of work itself out in a few different attitudes. One would be this, for us to start thinking, all right, this place would be better if everyone was more like me. Uh, If we had a band full of trumpet players, uh, this whole thing would sound a lot better. Um, If they thought like me, had the same gifts as me, the same ministry emphasis as me, if they voted like me, um, if they had the same interests, um, if they saw things the way that I do, then it would be better. So that's one way we can think about it. Another way we might be tempted to think about dealing with our differences as the problem would be to think, this place would be better without me. Um, I don't fit in. My gifts aren't needed here. Maybe they're not even gifts at all. They feel more like liabilities. Um, I'm too different for this place. I'm too messy for this place. I'm the trumpet player who's constantly off key. Uh, The rest of the band seems like they're playing from the same sheet of music, so maybe I'm the one that needs to go. But but we can begin to think in the life of the church that our differences are the problem. What if, rather than seeing our differences as a problem, what if our differences were actually a gift from God that made the church healthier? Um, We're in a series right now, we're looking at some of the different biblical images for the church. By the way, biblical images for the church, there are so, so many. We're just taking five weeks and looking at five different examples, but we could do this for an entire year. 
Um, but today we're jumping into the latter part of the Apostle Paul's letter to the Corinthians. And the main thing that we need to know to understand this letter is that this church was struggling with division. As an aside, if you're ever discouraged about the state of the local church, just read 1 Corinthians. And you'll realize that uh, there's nothing new under the sun, basically. Uh, but in, in the church in Corinth, people were at each other. They were in disagreement. It was causing division. In our text specifically, it's around the issue of spiritual gifts. Uh, what gifts mattered the most for the church? All right, with this backdrop, let's listen to God's word from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where, uh, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with the greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. The word of the Lord. Father, we do thank you for your word. Uh, oh, how we need to hear from you. We pray by your spirit that you would speak to us, that you would apply these words of truth to our hearts and to our minds. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so the guiding image of this passage is that, um, is that of a body and, and its members or its parts. Um, so let's think about the passage this way. Two headings this morning. We're going to talk about the members of the body and the head of the body. First, the members of the body. Who are the members of the body? Uh, we, as individual followers of Jesus who are connected together in the church, are described here as individual parts or members of this connected body. And from that, we can draw out a few things of what that means for us as members of the body. Three things. The first thing is this. God made you the way he made you on purpose. Look at verse 18. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. Um, you are the way you are because God made you that way. Genesis 1.17 says it this way. It says that you were created in the image of God. Psalm 139.19 says God formed your inward parts and knitted you together in your mother's womb. 
I have a friend that says it this way. Um, you are the only one, you are the only you that ever has or will existed. All right, this does not mean uh, that we are perfect as we are. Um, the biblical account tells us that while we were created good and created in the image of God, we've all turned away from God. That mars and twists these good and unique ways in which we are created. Um, every part of us is now in some way tainted with sin, with our disobedience from God. But it still remains true that we are unique image bearers whom God has made in a very specific way. And he's done so on purpose. Um, have you ever tried uh, to put on ski boots before? It's been a long, long time since I've been skiing. But I remember putting on ski boots for the first time. Uh, you know, you put on the ski boots usually from the place, you know, near the mountain where you're renting uh, all of your ski gear. And then, uh, then you have to do this impossible task of walking from where you rented the ski boots in your ski boots to the bottom of the slope where you have yet to clip in to the skis themselves. And as soon as you put on these ski boots and you start walking and you realize you have like, no, you can't move your ankle. You're sort of flapping around in these ski boots and there's no traction on the bottom of these boots which is tough because there's ice and snow everywhere because you're skiing. And so these ski boots, they're like the worst things ever to walk in. And you can't help but think as you're trying to walk over there, not getting any traction, slipping everywhere. Who designed these things this way? Uh, I don't like the way they're made. But then you get over to the slope and you clip into your skis and you begin to use your ski boots for their intended purpose you start going down the mountain and you realize that they're made the way they're made on purpose. And you think, okay, never mind. This makes total sense. These things are great. But you have to understand their specific purpose to truly appreciate them. God made you the way he made you on purpose. And he did not mess up. Uh, but it is so easy to think that he messed up. And to get bogged down in shame and despair about ourselves. Um, even if we can like present pretty well and show up confidently in life. It is just easy to constantly compare ourselves to those around us and think, I really wish I was more like them and less like me. Different body. Different physical ability. Different intellectual ability. Different gifting. But God actually likes the way he made you. And Genesis 1 says that after he created everything and sort of human beings as the ultimate of his creation, he looks at it and says what? That it's very good. Um, for so many of us, our default mode is to be cruel to ourselves and just kind of run on repeat this story of how we're just terrible. We're just not enough and we're messed up. That's not the way God sees us. Um, if we're going to believe that our individual differences are a gift that actually leads to a healthier church, then we need to believe that God made us the way he made us on purpose. That's the first thing. Secondly, God made you the way he made you for the good of others. Look at verses 14 through 17 again. It says, For the body does not consist of one member but of many. If the foot should say, Because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. Or if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? Okay, so Paul is highlighting these different parts of the body to get us to see how important each part is for the sake of the whole body. 
Uh, the foot shouldn't say, hey, well, look, I'm not a hand. Maybe I shouldn't be a part of this thing. Neither should the ear say, hey, I'm not an eye, so, so maybe I shouldn't be a part of this body. Um, and there's this really helpful but absolutely terrifying image in verse 17 that says if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? Or if the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? Kids, I want you to vividly imagine this. Imagine a human body only made up of eyes. Eyes for ears, eyes for a head, eyes for hands, eyes for feet, eyes for arms, eyes for legs. That is terrifying. And it's not even a real body. Imagine the same thing with ears. Ears are even weirder than eyes. Imagine if we were only made up of ears. You don't want that. No one wants that. Think about yourself. And, and, and what, what do you tell yourself in your self-critical moments? Um, what's the thing about you where you're tempted to say, because I'm this way, I shouldn't be a part of this body. I'm too extroverted for the church. I'm too introverted for the church. I'm too into theology for this church. I'm too into to mercy, ministry, and justice for this church. I'm too into fill in the blank for this church. And uh, rather than thinking, because I'm this way, therefore I don't belong to the body and should leave, what if the reason why you are wired the way you are is so that you could contribute to the greater health of the whole body? You know, a, a human body can limp along without a foot, but it's not going to be as healthy as it could be without that foot. Um, if we're going to believe that our differences are not a problem, but instead contribute to the health of the church, then we need to see that our gifting is also good for the other people in the church. Third thing about members of the body related to what we just said. God made the other members of the body for your good. Look at verse 21 and following. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. Okay, so these verses are coming at this from the other angle. Rather than someone despairing about their own gifts and not fitting in. These verses are speaking to those who think that they have the best gifts and they look down on those who are different or less impressive in some way. Um, it's likely in the original context of this letter that it was referring to those who were speaking in tongues. Um, that those who were speaking in tongues sort of thought of themselves as having the ultimate spiritual gift and they were therefore looking down on others who did not have that gift but who had a different other kind of gift. And the principle behind it still applies to us today. I know not everyone here is a football fan, um, but I bet many of you are. Um, I bet if we went row by row, even chair by chair, um, a lot of us could name a quarterback that has played at some point in the NFL, either currently or in the past. Actually, I'm, I won't call on anybody, but we'll just do a show of hands. Um, if you, and no shame if, if you remember God made you the way he made you on purpose. So it's okay if you, if, you, if you can't name a quarterback. But if you could name a quarterback that at some point, either currently or in the past, has played in the NFL, raise your hand. Okay, that's really good. I was going to guess about 90%. That's, of course, why? 
Quarterbacks are famous. They're kind of, it's like the celebrity position. It's like the speaking in tongues of football, uh, if, if, you could, if you could go there. Um, it's a glory-filled position. Um, now, let's think about offensive linemen. Offensive linemen in the NFL, those are like the center, the person who snaps the ball, the guards, the tackle, sometimes the tight end if they're on the line of scrimmage. Those are the people in the three-point stance, offensive linemen. All right, let's do the same thing again. If you can name an offensive lineman currently or in the past, raise your hand. Oh, that's okay, that's a lot more than I thought. I was going to guess about 5%, but it's still less than the quarterback. It still stands. I came across this article talking, it was like this um, collection of responses from different people on the importance of an offensive line. Some different quotes, it said, the greatest position in football is the offensive line. So without a solid offensive line, the following can't happen. Your quarterback can't get off good throws. Your running back and fullback won't have holes to run through. Your punter will get blocked every time. Your kicker will get blocked every time. One offensive lineman said, our job description does not sound fun, interesting, or flashy, nor should it. But those who know football know the game is won or lost in the trenches along the line. Someone said the heart and soul of any good football team is is its offensive line. Well, you know, if a quarterback came out and said, get rid of these offensive linemen, we don't need them, that quarterback would be done. He would literally be crushed. They're crucial for the health of the team. Put yourself in the mindset of, of, of being that quarterback. Um, Do you have eyes to see and appreciate the work of the offensive line in the church body around you? And I don't know how you prioritize spiritual gifts, things like that in the church, but whatever sort of falls to the bottom of the list for you, can you appreciate how crucial those other gifts are to the health of the church? That the whole thing actually falls apart without them. You know, I get this rare kind of behind-the-scenes glimpse at some of the less fun, less attention-getting roles of serving around the church, the ones that don't have a long list of volunteers signing up for. Um, and those are some of the most crucial to just keep church stuff going. Um, God made the other members of the body for your good, and you need them. We need all the parts of the body in order to be healthy. Our differences aren't the problem. They're actually gifts from God that contribute to the health of the church. We've seen that by looking at the members of the body. Let's look at the head of the body. What do we know about the head of the body? What do we need to know about it? First is this. Jesus is the head. Jesus is the head of the body. Verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ. Uh, the individual followers of Jesus, church members, make, we make up the body while Christ himself is the head. In another letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Colossians, he says it this way, Colossians 1.18. And he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. Uh, this is one of those truths that is extremely comforting and reassuring, but very easy to gloss over. Jesus is the head of the church. The head leads the body where it will go. The head is ultimately in control of all of the parts of the body. The hand is not in control of the body. The foot is not in control of the whole body. The head is in control of the whole body and Jesus is the head. Jesus leads the church. Have you ever wondered 
How in the world does the church make it? How has the church lasted for 2,000 years when it seems like we're always hearing about downfalls of pastors and systemic problems with churches in the news more and more? And then you just get involved in a local church and pretty soon you, you'd be really begin to ask that question, how does the church make it? How does it keep going? The church keeps going because Jesus is the head of the church. And there's nothing that will throw him off. Jesus is the head. Second thing, connection to the head is the most important connection. Why? A true connection to Jesus the head leads to true connection to the rest of the body and not the other way around. Look at verse 13. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. What's the thing that brings the body together? You know, togetherness is a very popular idea culturally. Um, It's not hard to sell people on being united. Everyone loves the idea of being united, not divided. We're not going to find anyone who would disagree with that. Um, Even when we talk about our vision as a church, I say this uh, before the start of every service, that we want to see every person in every surrounding neighborhood gathered together. Around what? Around the good news of Jesus Christ and made new in Him. What's the one thing that brings the body together? It's this one spirit that we're baptized into. It's the oneness of God, the Father, Son, and Spirit, the very center of our unity. Um, We cannot be truly united. We cannot be truly connected as a body unless we're connected to Jesus the head. Here's how Ed Clowney puts it in his book on the church. He says, when Paul thinks of the church as Christ's body, he thinks first of the body of Christ on the cross. It is because we are united to him, to his body, as he paid the price of our sin, that we are now one body. Uh, my in-laws were in town this last week for the particularization service last Sunday. They stayed for a few days afterward. And, and one day during the week, my father-in-law, he went out and got us a new pressure washer. Which, as an aside, is just a perfect picture of my father-in-law. He's a very generous man and he loves tools that help you clean and organize your house. And so he went out and got a pressure washer and he came home. He spent about half the day pressure washing our front sidewalk uh, all by himself. Um, and I'm pretty sure... In the 51 years of this sidewalk's existence, that it had never been pressure washed ever before. Um, it had gotten, you know, when something gets so dirty that it doesn't look dirty anymore? It just kind of is. That's how the sidewalk was. We had no idea how dirty this thing was until he starts pressure washing this thing. And, um, and after he, he pressure washed most of it, all except for the very end, and it looked like new concrete. I mean, it was glowing. It was, it was so amazing. And then where he stopped, there was this like stark black and white line of, of what he had not yet cleaned yet. And it made me think about all the times, even just the six years we've been in this house. Um, I've swept that, that walkway a ton with a broom, with a push broom, blown it off with a leaf blower a ton. That sidewalk has been through some torrential downpours of rain. And none of those things have cleaned it like they needed to be cleaned. Um, the pressure washer was the only thing that could really clean that sidewalk. Um, the only way that we can be cleansed from our sin is by the work of Jesus on our behalf. There's nothing else that we can do, though we often try, 
to cleanse ourselves. Uh, we try by our good behavior. We try by, you know, swearing off certain bad habits. Um, we try by just being really good, doing certain, certain good habits. Um, we try by just always kind of comparing ourselves to others to say, all right, I'm, I know I'm not perfect, but I'm not that bad. At least I don't do those things. I'm generally good. We try in all these ways. The only thing that can cleanse us and therefore connect us to Jesus is his work on our behalf. Um, salvation does not come by merely attending church. Salvation does not come by hanging around the body. It comes by receiving and resting on what Jesus has done for you. And, and if you're here and uh, maybe you're not quite there yet, you wouldn't consider yourself a believer, um, you're, you're exploring, you're curious about Jesus and the Bible, know that we're so glad that you're here. Please keep coming, keep asking questions, keep exploring. And know that as we part, talk about um, what it means to be a part of the body of Christ, it's really crucial to understand that to truly be a part of that body, you have to be personally connected to Jesus, who is the head of that body. Um, true connection to that body does not come by being friends with those who are in the body or being related to those who are in the body. You have to be personally connected to Jesus, who is the head. And it's only when you're connected to him that you'll be truly connected with the other members of the body. And that's where you get all these benefits of being a part of this body where you're contributing and they're contributing and you get to experience the health of this body. This beautiful community that's talked about here. Did you see this in verses 25 and 26? It talks about us caring for one another, not being divided, but caring for one another. When one suffers, we all suffer together. When one is honored, we all rejoice together. And this is what's on offer for you this morning. Life as it was meant to be. True connection to Jesus Christ. Cleansing for your sin. And as a result, true connection to the body of Christ, the church. Um, and so maybe this morning is the morning where it becomes real to you personally. Where you surrender your life to Jesus and become a follower of his. And, and if that's where you're at, if you're kind of thinking through that, even if you've been around for a while, but something is stirring in you, know that I would love to talk with you afterwards today. And for those of you who are here and, and believe already, but maybe still struggle in thinking that um, our differences in the body are the problem, um, do you see that these differences are actually gifts from God that lead to the greater health of the church body? This means that God made you the way he made you on purpose. That your gifts are needed and that you need the gifts of others. Uh, this is the beautiful and mysterious way that Jesus the head has brought us all together as one body. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this great mystery. And it is just that. It is a mystery. That Christ is our head and we are his body. And so Father, um, help us to see that, that our differences, the, the different parts of the body are not the problem. But they're actually things which contribute to the health of the body. And so Father we pray. That you would bring in all the parts of the body. Into our midst. That we could contribute and serve. Not for our glory. But for your glory. That we might be a healthy body of Christ. Connected and sustained by the head. Who is your son Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.